Hey everyone, Lena here in Chicago. Just want to say hi and welcome to the podcast. I uh, uh, just want to uh, let you know I'm having a great beginning of 2016. I hope you are too. I hope you uh, are keeping the resolutions that you made. Can I even ask that? Or are you guys like, I mean, how's it going for you? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get an email. Just tell me kind of what's going on in your life. Fill me in on stuff. I, you know, there's a regular stream, not not huge numbers, but a regular stream of emails that come through to me. And I had to be honest with you, I just love hearing from you. I love knowing that there's somebody out there who's listening. But more than that, I just like finding out about your life and what's, what you're going through and knowing how to pray for you. So keep that in mind. And then uh, if you're new to the podcast, every couple of weeks I try to put out uh, a little bit of a Bible teaching or biblical perspective on life. Um, I uh, believe uh, that uh, there are answers to our most difficult questions in life, and they're found in the book uh, called The Bible. It is the Word of God, authoritative, inspired, inerrant, meaning God breathed His Word, and we have it in our hands. And so, uh, you know, I, I just had a funny experience I want to share with you. I uh, literally have been spending the past four months applying to some state licenses. I'm not moving or anything, but I want a medical license in a couple of other states because I do this telemedicine now, which I love. I really enjoy it. So I want to expand kind of the, the coverage of, of my patient base. You know, I'm a, I'm a pediatric ER doctor, and so I take a lot of patient calls. And, and so I applied to two states. You know, I have been working about four months. Every couple of weeks, a form is missing. I've got to email someone, call someone. I mean, it has been like, I mean, one of the most difficult experiences of my life to get that material in. And today, I, I called the state of Texas earlier. I thought I was all done, and there was still one more form that was pending. And then I called the state of California, and I mean, four months into it. And then the state of California was like, the lady was so nice. She just eat, uh, called me and said she hadn't gone the fast, and we just worked through it and got it. And I finished all of the paperwork for Florida. I mean, for California. And and listen, I said to her, I feel like I need a badge of honor, like I need a certificate. I was so pumped up. I was so happy. And and I got to thinking about how hard I was willing to work to get into the state of California, a license there. I mean, I'm not even moving there. And it I just made me laugh. And then I thought, man, we've got God Almighty. He sent Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross. He's paid the price for our sin. He's like, look, it's free to enter to heaven for you. I paid the price for you. It's free. All you need to do is embrace faith in, the, in my sacrifice for you, for your sins. And still we and we want to make it complicated and we want to create a paper trail and God's like you don't need a paper trail Jesus' blood has paid the price for your sins and that's what the good news is about that is what the gospel is about and and what I want to do in this podcast series is really spend um, a few minutes every week looking at uh, the gospel of Mark and Mark is the guy who wrote this gospel it's one of the four major gospels and um, we're going to study Jesus. I call this study Jesus is better than anything because I believe that with all my heart. I believe Jesus is better than anything. And I find sometimes in my Christian life, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but it's like I'm going through the motions. I, I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I, I do what I'm supposed to do, but it's almost like I forget Jesus in the mix, which is crazy because he is Christianity. He is what it means to be a Christian. And and, and I got to remind myself, sometimes before I go to sleep at night, I just... This thought comes in my head, like, I love you, Jesus. And I think, 
where has he been all day? And he's been there, but I've been so caught up in my own world that it's like I'm not, I'm oblivious to him. And I don't think that's that crazy of a, of a notion because think about it. So many married couples kind of say that, that after years of marriage, it's like they're living parallel lives. They don't really talk. And, 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 and eventually the relationship hurts if you're in that place. And, and, and I don't want that to happen with me and the Lord. And I know you don't want that to happen. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe a lot of people who listen to the podcast are followers of Jesus Christ. And you just hunger for more, a deeper walk with him, more stirring, you know, in your soul to, to want more of him. And I know that you want to be more obedient to his word. I know you want to see more food in your life. And I know that you want to have a deeper love for him. And it's not going to happen unless we focus on him. And so the podcast is just one more way that we can do that. Now, the gospel of Mark is a pretty awesome gospel because it's short. It's like 16 chapters and it's kind of fast paced. And if you read the first chapter in the coming two weeks, because I'm teaching the first lesson now and we won't be doing the next one for another two weeks, but, but listen to me. This is awesome. I made a PDF outline that's really cool and everything. You can print it off of my website. Go to livingwithpower.org and click on the Bible study, and it's the top one. It's called uh, Jesus Through the Eyes of Mark. Click on that, and it will open up into a page that will give you a PDF of the study. You can print it all out and use it. It will have questions for every chapter, and you can follow along. So you can do the homework first and then listen, or you can listen and then do the homework, or you don't even have to do the form. You can just listen. I don't care what you do. But, I mean, I care about you, but you can make the choice to do what you want to do. But in the meantime, today we're going to cover chapter one of Mark. But, but you know, one of the reasons I love this gospel is the fact that Mark wrote it. Now, I don't know how much Bible you you know or what, but I, I mean, you might know the story of Mark. But if you don't, I think I want to tell it to you. Um, Mark was back in, or over in the book of Acts, you find out kind of his story. And he was the nephew of Barnabas. And Barnabas, if you recall, or if you don't know, he was Paul, the Apostle Paul's partner in ministry. They traveled together, and they were really, really good friends. And uh, on the mission, one of the missionary journeys that they went on, they took with them this young guy, Mark. He was like an apprentice with them. He's going to help them. The problem is that Mark freaked out. I don't know if the journey was too much for him. I don't know if he couldn't handle the stress of being in ministry, traveling. I don't know, but, but he bailed. And that hurt Paul deeply, so that Paul told Barnabas, that's it, we're not giving him another chance, and later on, on the second journey, Barnabas wanted to bring Mark, and Paul said, no, I'm sorry, he's not taking him again, and that caused a fight, a rift between Paul and Barnabas. Now, it wasn't a permanent rift, they eventually reconciled, and not only did they reconcile, this is what amazes me about God's grace, they actually... Paul asked for Mark on his deathbed, like, bring Mark, he's beneficial to me in the ministry. We're told that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and so, but what amazes me about Mark not, is not only that God restored the relationship with Paul and with Barnabas and all of that, I mean, that is all amazing, but that God would use Mark in the ministry, but not only use him. Do you see it? I mean, he used him to the nth degree. He took this guy who had counted himself out, who was like, I'm not into that. I'm out. I'm not going back to church. You know, whatever. Well, I mean, I'm being dramatic here. But, but, but the point is, he bailed on this amazing experience with the Apostle Paul. And he was like, I, I, I can't handle this. And instead of just bringing him back on to be like the usher or the parking greeter, God is like, you're going to write a book. And it's going to be one of the major four Gospels. And that to me is awesome. It is a picture of God's grace. So I, I just love that story. It's the background story of who Mark is. And um, so just keep that in mind as you go through. I just God gives second chances. Maybe you need a second chance today. Maybe you've blown 2016 already. You've like done this last three weeks and they've been miserable. And you're like, the whole year is wasted. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're like, ah, I blew my year resolutions. No, 2016 is down the drain. Well, it's not. It's not. God is a God of daily grace. He gives 
faithfulness and grace and gifts and mercy. That's the word I'm looking for. He gives mercy morning after morning. And so you don't have to, to just hang on the outskirts. You know how sometimes you, when you know that there's been some stress between you and God or you and the church, you kind of stand on the sidelines. And You don't have to be on the sidelines. You can come in and you can get back into the game. And, and just God is waiting for you with open arms. And so uh, Mark, incidentally, this gospel really is, is thought to be... But there's no argument, by the way, in the, with church historians that he was the author of this gospel. No one argued about it. We imagine that. Everybody, there was unanimous agreement. And uh, it was thought that Mark really took the account. I mean, Mark wasn't around when Jesus... You know, we don't hear about Mark hanging out with Jesus. I think he was a lot younger when Jesus was born. But uh, th- but the thought is that... And you'll, you'll see through the book, it's, it's really through the New Testament, it was Peter that... So th- this is an account of... Peter through Mark. Mark was the writer, but it was kind of sort of Peter's story. So, uh, so that's the perspective we're getting. And, um, and you're going to see immediately, like the first chapter is so crazy. The word immediately, I mean, I circled, circled it in my chapter one of Mark and so many times it shows up and you kind of get the space. A lot happens in that first chapter of Mark. I mean, you go from, um, the introduction of, of who Jesus is to John the Baptist. Then you move straight into Jesus' temptation. Then he begins his ministry. Then he calls the first disciples, and he heals many people. I mean, he goes through, bam, 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 heals, 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 heals. Then he goes and prays up on the mountain. Then he comes back and heals, and you're still in chapter 1. And incidentally, this beginning of his ministry is happening around uh, the area of Galilee. He's still in his hometown. And uh, uh, we don't, in the Gospel of Mark, we don't get a lot of the genealogy of, we don't get any of the genealogy of Jesus. In fact, why don't I do this? Why don't I read you a few verses? And uh, I, I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing, but let me at least get you in the zone of the gospel according to Mark. It starts like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for, for, for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were, bat- were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Listen, confessing their sins. So here's John. He's preaching repentance and forgiveness. That is an intense message. That is not like a message. That is not a prosperity-driven message. That is not a message of you put your trust in Jesus, you're going to get rich. That is like beat yourself on the back, repent of your sins, change your ways, embrace God's ways, turn. And uh, they came confessing their sins. In verse 6 says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Also, this is a prophetic um, from the Old Testament that how John's story is too, and we're going to see in a minute Jesus is too. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. As awesome as John the Baptist was, this is what he preached. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I. All John was doing was just preparing the way for the Lord. It says, he says, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John into Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, let me give you some thoughts. What makes Jesus better? 
And I brought a, there's six points that I'm going to kind of give you. And there's a fill in the blank if you're using the form. And if not, you can just listen about some of the things that we see that make Jesus better. And you're going to see them throughout the book. But this is, remember, just the intro today. We're getting our feet wet. We're kind of going to start this gospel of Mark. We're going to have two weeks to, to read this chapter, to meditate on it. You can break it up in chunks. You can read the whole thing, however you want to do it. But number one is this. He fulfills divine prophecy. He fulfills divine prophecy. Um, oh, it's one small thing about... Um, about Mark's perspective of Jesus. It is his perspective of Jesus as suffering servant. And you're going to see, it's funny, I, I read this today in a uh, John MacArthur, you know, Bible commentary. He was saying how uh, Mark uh, is, the, of all the Gospels, he's the most that, that talks about Jesus' emotions. And you're going to even start seeing it in chapter 1, which is cool. I never thought about the fact, I mean, I know the verse that says Jesus wept, but like, I just think that's cool, you know, because I don't know, I never really thought about Mark being, I mean, I know it's all the inspired word of God, but God uses people's personalities. And the fact that Mark is bringing out this emotive side of Jesus is just cool to me because I think Mark was probably more sensitive than, than, I, than I have always, I don't know, I guess I thought of him as this guy who bailed. And I don't, you just never know. Anyway, that's kind of a side thing. I don't even know why I'm blabbering, like I'm blabbering away. Anyway, let's go back to the text. So, Jesus fulfills divine prophecy. Did you know that there are over 300, I think, um, I looked it up a minute ago. Uh, Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Let me look it up again. Um, Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy. I think it's 353 or something. Whatever, yeah, 353 prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you start getting a feel for that right in, in verse 1, where it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, in everything about Jesus, you trace back to the Old Testament, and it is just a reminder that Jesus didn't just show up at one point in time. He was, even before the creation of the world, in Hebrews, we're, we're told that God had already planned to send his son to save the world. This is amazing. Jesus was ushering a new kingdom that was long overdue and the people were desperate in need for. Now he, he ushers a new kingdom. He said, what is the kingdom that Jesus ushered in? It is a kingdom that, that, that declares salvation in individual hearts. We are to each person who came out to hear the story of Jesus and what he was going to do, that John was preaching of, of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Each of them had to make a personal declaration of accepting Jesus. It wasn't like, okay, Jesus came and everybody saved. There's a point in time when you've got to receive Jesus. And so so there's a salvation in individual hearts, there's a salvation eternally, and then there's a salvation of the thousand-year rule. And so here, Jesus is ushering a new kingdom. We've got the Old Testament, then we've got 400 years of silence, and we start the New Testament, and it is the beginning of this new kingdom. And we're going to kind of keep that concept of new kingdom in mind as we get into the study and see what does it mean uh, to live out Christ's kingdom, God's kingdom here on this earth. What does that look like? And as we think and reflect and pray about who Jesus was, and as we try to live out that same type of, of life. Let us keep, uh, you know, let us, let us try to understand that better together. So Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the proof that God's word is true because he fulfills divine prophecy. And um, everything about Jesus and everything about even John the Baptist, anybody related to Jesus also had prophecy that was fulfilled here in, in, in Mark chapter 1. And then uh, the second point, why is Jesus better? He's proclaimed by a divine precursor. And, and just like any king, you know, have you ever watched movies about kings? I mean, I think the only kings we have now is like Prince William and Kate. And, and how many of us just watch them with avid anticipation? But before they show up on a trip and back, I, I've watched enough movies to know the king doesn't ever just show up. I mean, remember Jesus is 
is coming as the king of a new kingdom. And so he's fulfilling this divine prophecy of a new kingdom. This is a new day. We've got good news. The beginning of this chapter is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel, the word gospel means uh, good news. And the good news is of this new kingdom. It is a kingdom of love and peace and hope. And, 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 and you don't just show up as a king. You've got somebody coming before you declaring the way. And for Jesus, this man was John the Baptist. And, and there was like a revival going on with John the Baptist. And yet, as great as he was, as I mentioned before, he, constantly John's message was that he may increase, that Jesus might increase, that I might decrease. In fact, when Jesus went to be baptized by him in the other Gospels, you read about how Mark didn't want to, I mean, John didn't want to do it at first. He was like, I'm going to baptize you. You're the king. But Jesus says, no, we've got to do what God has intended for to happen. And so he is proclaimed by a divine precursor. But the message is the same. There's only one true message, which is turn to God and his ways. Embrace his ways. Turn from your ways and embrace the truth. Repent. That is the meaning of repentance. It's changing. So there's one true message. There's one great Savior. It is Jesus Christ. Don't be confused. We've got so many amazing speakers and preachers and Christian celebrities these days. It's so easy to be just your eyes turning away from the Lord and think, man, if I could just be like this pastor or that person and and listen to me, Jesus is the star of this show. He is the one we lift up, that we all might decrease and him increase. He is our king. And let's keep that straight. I love him with all my heart. Okay, there's one God-honoring response when you hear the good news that the precursor and that Christ proclaimed. And that God-honoring response is the hunger for his word. These people in the verses that I read, they were flocking to hear the story that John was telling. They wanted to hear, and it, it, it just it's like they were waiting to hear good news, and, and, and they wanted more, and, and they were going willing to go to any extent to embrace this message. What is your response to the good news? You hear that Jesus came to give us life. What is your response to Jesus? Now, we're just starting this, so you might be like, well, I'm not ready yet to make a commitment. That's okay. We're going to get there. You're going to read through this gospel, and by God's grace, you will um, see that he is a savior worthy to be followed. But, but, but furthermore, you might be following him already. And the question for you is, do you hunger for his word? Do you hunger for his word? Do you flock and say, man, I'll do anything. I'm confessing my, my sins in public just because I don't want anything to stand in the way of my relationship with Jesus. So Jesus fulfills divine prophecy. He's proclaimed by divine precursor, fitting for a king. Number three, he reflects divine favor. He reflects divine favor. Um, I love that when when Jesus is baptized and comes up, it says the spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And man, those are amazing words. And God, with the spirit falling on Jesus, it's just a sign of his favor. And, and interestingly, do you know what happened next? The very next thing, when God pours his favor on his son in front of everyone to see, he's declaring him to be his son. It says in verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Some of you are walking in the wilderness right now and you don't understand where God is and, and why he has you, where he has you. Can I suggest that you might be in the wilderness not because God is angry with you, on the contrary, because he is pleased with you. Maybe you've been faithful and obedient and maybe you've been following him and, and now he's like, look, you're going to the wilderness so that you get stronger, so that you can test, so I can see your love for me. And, and this is a time of testing and what a privilege to be tested. We're going to look at how Jesus handled the wilderness in a minute, but most of us freak out in the wilderness. But if you look at Jesus' example, you'll see in a moment that instead of freaking out, he conquered the wilderness. And so he gives us the strength to do that. But, but so, so he reflects divine favor. How is God's favor seen in our life? 
Well, sometimes it whispers in our humble obedience. This this dove falling on Jesus, or it, it came. It's not. It wasn't a dove, by the way. It's like a dove, and I think the picture is this gentle falling on Jesus. See, we sometimes think that God's favor has to be loud and 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 flashy. And do you know that sometimes God's favor is very quiet and gentle, and it it it, it, it whispers in our humble obedience to Him. Whatever He says, wherever He says, and and man, we see Jesus' obedience to God in. The wilderness. God's favor is near in our wilderness experience. It was the Spirit that that sent Jesus into the wilderness, and uh, and and listen. It says, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And then listen, and the angels were ministering to him. God's favor is near us in our wilderness experience. If you're in the wilderness experience, just. I just want you to be reassured of God's presence with you. You may not feel it, you may not see it, but He's nearer than you think. If you are a follower of Christ, he is with you in your trial. God's favor grants victory over temptation. And God's favor launches us into our true purpose. So, so he finishes the wilderness. And verse 14 of Mark 1, we're told now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This is right after the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness. John's arrested. Jesus came into the world, into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Hey, hey, hey. Remember, what was John's proclamation? He was proclaiming what? The gospel, the good news, the message that Jesus is coming. Now Jesus takes over. And what is he proclaiming? The same. Listen to, this this is the same message. Jesus starts off his ministry by saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, this is a new day. You got a new king. And he says, listen to this, repent and believe in the gospel. You know, we have so many opinions about Jesus these days. We have so many thoughts about what he preached and and a lot of it is true and good, you know, help the poor and love those who are your enemies and on and on. But do you know that, that the heart of his message was this, repent and believe in the gospel. Acknowledge that your way doesn't work and submit to this new king. Turn from your ways and turn to the Lord. Stop thinking that you know the answers to how to obtain eternal life. Stop trying to hang on to your tradition and your works and your ideas and your preferences. And repentance is saying, I bow my knee to this new king and believe the good news that he says. And, and, uh, and man, this is, uh, for some people, really hard to swallow. But by God's grace, you're going to make it to this place of, of understanding that this new kingdom is not a kingdom of oppression, but a kingdom of joy and freedom and light. And, and, and man, I, I just want you to understand that as we study the Gospel of Mark. So, so he reflects divine favor. And then number four, he overcomes with divine power. And we see that in the wilderness, just backtracking a bit. He overcomes the divine power. Jesus, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, if you want a detailed account of the wilderness experience, go back to the Gospel of Matthew and read the temptations. He overcame man. He overcame sin. He overcame the devil. He overcame the wilderness. And he's given us the strength to overcome. I wrote this down under this point. Because he has overcome sin, we can too. Because he defeated Satan, we are victorious today. And because he ruled over illness, we see in chapter 1, as you read the rest of the chapter, and I'll read some highlights in a moment, but you see, he rules over the physical world and he rules over the spiritual world and because of that we can be healed are you suffering with a physical ailment look that doesn't mean you're going to be healed of that now but you will be someday i guarantee you that and i guarantee you this the minute jesus decides to heal you you can be healed right now 
So pray for healing. So many of us are, you know, we're so like, oh, I'm not sure if the, the you know, healing persists in the 20%. Pray for it. Jesus hears prayers. And I've seen him. I just read an account on Facebook of a friend of mine from college whose father had cancer and they knelt by his bed last summer. And, and look, my dad died last summer. So, so in my case, we prayed for my dad's healing. He didn't heal. But this family friend of mine, he prayed for his dad and his dad has been healed from cancer. And he wrote an update at Christmas and talked about how God had healed his father and how happy they are. And, and I was so rejoicing with them. You know, God chooses what he wants to do in each situation and ours is to trust his awesome king who knows everything and knows what we need and when we need it. So he overcomes with divine power and we're going to see this power unfold and unleash itself as he heals. Uh, of course, the healing ministry of Jesus is, I mean, this is unique in the time of Jesus and the apostles. There is a uniqueness to it that I think is, uh, 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 you know, is limited today compared to what they had then. It was because he was proving to a watching world that he was indeed and is indeed the savior, the king. Now, Point number five, he radiates a divine impact. Okay, listen, it says passing in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So now, what has Jesus done so far? Uh, pretty much nothing. I mean, he's been living for 30 years in Galilee. He gets baptized. I mean, we know he's God, and we, we get a lot of hindsight, but think of it in that era, right? So so he he gets baptized, the Spirit of God descends on him, he goes in the wilderness, he comes out, and he finds these two men, and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And listen, it says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That, I mean, that is divine impact. That is a sign of God's favor on him. That is the, that is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it, I mean, if I was standing in the ER, and someone showed up and said, come after me, I wouldn't just go, unless he was God. And I think that... God had opened the eyes of the disciples. I don't even think they had the beginnings of an understanding of what was going to happen in their life. But but there was a divine power and a divine impact that Jesus had and continues to have that I believe will draw us to himself. And, and, and look, my teaching, my words mean nothing. If the Spirit of God is at work, he will draw you to himself. I'm just a, a tool to get you to hopefully encourage you to open God's Word and, and look into it. And so... so it says they left their nets and followed him. They never went back to fishing. Peter had one moment when he went back to fishing after his failure, but that was it, and he never went back to fishing. And uh, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Again, they were mending the nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They were like, they left the family business. Think about that. I mean, they turned their back on everything. I mean, they, if, if, if their father had been grooming them to take over the family business, this was like breaking ties with that. And they could only do it because of this impact that Jesus had. And we're going to see this throughout the life of Jesus. Of course, by the time he went to the cross, many had abandoned him out of fear. But of course, after his resurrection, man, people to this day were running after Jesus because he is compelling and because he is God and because he, there, he, is, he is divine. He's different than any. Study all the humans and leaders of religions in the world. The difference between Jesus is that he gave his life for us and then he rose from the dead and is sitting at the right hand of God today making intercession for us. So when Jesus calls, we answer. When he asks, we surrender. And where he leads, we follow. So the question to you is, has God called you to do something and you're afraid? Is he asking you to surrender your nets and are you willing to follow no matter the cost? Listen, it will be worth everything you give to him. And then the last point is this. He touches with divine authority. 
he touches with divine authority. He goes into Capernaum and we start seeing the healings. As he's teaching, there's an authority to his teaching. There's an authority to his word. Uh, the people who are hearing, hearing him teach in verse 27, they were all amazed. They asked questions among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread. And then you go on then. Immediately he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon, and he healed Simon's mother. And then he, uh, it says in verse 34, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He had authority over the demons. He had authority over the illnesses. He had authority uh, with his word. He had authority to call people, and they would find this is a, 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 this is a king who is, started, who is uh, ushering in a new kingdom. And... Uh, uh, he, his word touches our hearts because he is the living word of God. His hands touch our lives because he is the healing word of God. And his life touches our souls because he is God. Two observations as we wrap things up. And I want you to finish. I didn't read the entire second half of the chapter, but you will do that on your own. But I want to give you just two small observations in verses 35 through 39. It says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And I believe this right there is... The key to Jesus' ministry is he had this undivided fellowship with the Father. And he would routinely get up early in the morning and go out late at night while the disciples continued on the way. He would leave them and go alone and spend time to pray with God the Father. And then Simon comes to find him. And when they find him, the next day he says, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. If you want to know how to get a stronger sense of purpose, you start taking time alone with God very early in the morning. Seek God while it is still dark. Find a desolate place and pray to God. And I'm telling you, you will come out of these times of isolation with God, of prayer with God, of seeking God's heart, you will come out of them with purpose and with focus, and you will no longer be driven by what man wants of you, but you will be driven by what God wants, and your whole life will change. Listen, everybody was calling him to come back to Galilee and to heal there, but Jesus would come out of this prayer time and say, man, I'm going where my father wants me to go. He had a focus that was just fitted for a king. And, and, and the other observation, so that's one observation. You guys can meditate on these verses and see how God can help you, encourage you through them. And then verses 40 through 45, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, let me make an observation. People ran away from leopards. They used to live outside of the city. You don't want to touch them because you could become sick. And, and in fact, they, remember when Jesus healed them, they had to be purified. Then they had to go show themselves to the priests. I mean, they were like... Like, don't come near me. You're a leper type thing. And you see what Jesus did in verse 41. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. There were times in Jesus' life when he spoke a word to heal people. There was a time when he didn't even show up. He just said it from afar with, with the centurion. But, but in this case, with the leper, Jesus chooses to touch him. And I, I don't know about you, but I love that story. And it reminds me that we follow a Savior who comes near, who's not afraid of our ailments and of our dirt. He's not afraid of our mess. He rolls up his sleeves and embraces us to him. This is a God who is better than anything. He fulfills divine prophecy. He's proclaimed by divine precursor. He reflects divine favor. He overcomes with divine power. He radiates a divine impact and he touches with divine authority. How is he changing your life today? Sit down and make a list of the ways God has changed you in the last year. And if you can't come up with a list, then take some time and say, God, I'm asking you to do a new work in me in this coming year. 
So that's all. I'm going to end abruptly because I think I'm at the 30-minute mark, and I just want to thank you for your patience, and I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. We'll be hitting Mark chapter 2. Remember to go to livingwithpower.org, go under menu, under Bible study, click on the PDF, print it out, do the homework, meditate on this chapter, ask God to show you who he really is, Seek him while he may be found. Draw unto him while he is near. And know, guys, that I'm praying for you. And I, let me just close this prayer. Father, I pray that your hand will be honest and that you would bless us in everything we do and say. Make yourself known to us. Open our eyes that we might see you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.